Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Studios, it's the Press Box Summer Edition. I hate this place. I do. Ed Graney. I'm telling you, I hate it. Tyler Bischoff. I'm in a hostile environment. I am completely unprepared. I'm surrounded by people who probably want to kick my ass. It's like being back in high school. On ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Gang's back together. Ed, Tyler, and Jared on a Monday. Be together all week. That's a upset in itself that we're all going to be here this week. I don't week. have any more vacations planned. I don't get to just leave, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't have vacations. Who knows when I'll be back at the Raiders. Probably next week sometime. <laughs> Hopefully there'll be someone to <laughs> fill in. We're losing people left and right. How was the trip? Uh, good. You're going to hear about it in Bischoff's briefs. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Back a whole lot, there. whole lot of animals. Oh no, I can only imagine. Yeah, some good animal stories for you. I it's can only be imagine. Fun. Only yeah. one ended up dead while I was there. <laughs> it's a good ratio. It's a good ratio. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Been out at the uh, Raiders man yesterday. Monsoon, from 104. Oh to yeah, Mon- from 104 to monsoon, and like I'm, I'm telling you, it was like two minutes. You saw the clouds coming in, and I think that's why Josh McDaniels. They were supposed to go 21 periods yesterday, and you look at the board because you're just counting down those periods, saying <laughs> when is this going to end? Um, and it was a 17, and it clicked to 20, and a couple of us are like that. It can't be that good. It can't be that good of a day. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you look up in the clouds, and you're like, I think Josh is a uh, weatherman. Because he sees something that we don't. He said two weeks ago he had never studied temperature and humidity more. Man. This guy's the best meteorologist he in is, town. Because he switched right to 20 periods, and the next thing we knew, soaked. It was a downpour. Do they have somebody watching radar to be like, hey, the clouds, the rain is coming in? I mean, he's probably focused on Derek the- Carr. So someone might have told him, do you realize there are clouds above us, our heads now? Like five minutes ago, there was no clouds, and now there's like nothing but That's storm Alex clouds. That's Alex job now? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know who was there yesterday? The deucer. Maybe it's the deucer's oh, job. Oh, deuce Gruden. Yeah, it could be the deucer's job to keep uh, keep track of these clouds. Might be. Never haven't felt a downpour like that in years. Weightlifting and meteorologist. Yes, and meteorologist. All right. All right. The first bite. Did Deshaun Watson get off easy? I think this is a little light. We've talked about it on the show forever. Um, Six games. uh, The retired judge gives him six games. Let me ask you this, because precedent, I don't know if precedent even matters anything in this league when you go back and see what others have gotten for their infractions and and what they've been accused of. So the other thing we've talked about is he gets six games, and what if today, like, five more women come out? What if ten more women come out? Which, you know, people might be laughing out there, but he's got 30. Right. The number's 30 right now. So this morning, or maybe it happened last night, but three more lawsuits were settled with Deshaun Watson. So there were the the women that accused him. uh, It's They're all civil lawsuits right now. The women that accused him, there were four that had not settled. Three of those four have now settled. So that means there's only one outstanding civil lawsuit against Deshaun Watson. I don't know if that case is going to matter to the NFL. I don't know if that case is going to matter to his suspension. Maybe that one gets settled before the season starts at some point during the season. But like you said, maybe there's going to be more. I mean, this has been a, a fairly consistent stream of accusations against Deshaun Watson. And... You know, what happens if he serves his six-game suspension and then in week 12, more people accuse him of something? I mean, we'll 
we'll see. Maybe the NFL can say, hey, this is his suspension for what we knew at the time. And if there's new allegations, yes, then we'll we'll handle it or do whatever we need to do then. But it's going to be a six game suspension. This is the this to me is the interesting part from like the the NFL and its ability to kind of do what it wants. So they had a third party judge in Sue Robinson basically hear what was effectively an NFL trial, right? Hear all the evidence that the NFL had and the NFL PA and what both sides were arguing for. The NFL wanted a full season plus the indefinite tag. The Players Association was arguing for a no game suspension and she came back with six. And the interesting part is that according to Tom Pelissero, the NFL has three days to file an appeal which would be heard by Roger Goodell. So if the NFL appeals this, it goes to Roger Goodell, or he can appoint somebody else to do it, but it goes to Roger Goodell to basically decide what Deshaun Watson's suspension will be. And why is that the process? Like, when it says the NFL has three days to file an appeal, who is that? Is that not Roger Goodell filing an appeal to himself? Yeah. Like, what, well, if you're going to do that, why didn't you just have Roger Goodell hear the thing in the first right. place? What's the point of having the whole judge, judge thing? Because it's independent. And then just that, ah, I don't like that rule. I don't I'm like gonna, it, and I'm going to appeal to myself, and I'm going to suspend him for the year. Raj, oh, see, I think Raj is definitely sending, He he's not going to hear it. He's sending in whatever lower-level female executive that he possibly can be like, wait, it wasn't me. I mean, yes, I think he absolutely would yeah. have somebody else to... Well, it'd be... St- It'd be ridiculous if he did it to himself, right. and even though the NFL doesn't care usually what most people think. Unless he showed up in a funny judge outfit with like the powdered wig and everything <laughs> yes. and a gavel and just was banging on a random table. That couch he did the draft from, he's just yes, sitting there exactly. giving out rulings. But let me, so let me ask you this from the NFL side, from the Roger Goodell side. Is there any motivation for the NFL to simply leave the suspension at six games, because the NFLPA put out a statement last night before the suspension was public, before the, the amount of games was public. The NFLPA put out a statement last night saying, we're going to accept the ruling. We hope the NFL does, too. Basically saying they probably put the knew, onus on the NFL. Right, they probably knew it was going to be six games. But basically saying, hey, we agreed to this third party judge. She decided on six games. We think everybody should say, yes, Let that's exactly what we're going to do. So let me, from the NFL standpoint, what motivation do they have to simply say, yes, six games, that's the suspension? I mean, the ego of the NFL, right? Uh, and the ego of Roger, Dell, Roger Goodell to want more and to well, no, no, know what's there's their, What's avenue. their motivation to just leave it at six? Not to, not to upgrade it, just to say six is fine. I mean, I guess their motivation is because they helped appoint this judge, right? I guess. They, I mean, that they appointed the judge, and it's it's, bad, it's a bad, bad look now to appeal it and say, look, you're the one who appointed this judge, and now you're going to appeal because you don't like what happened? Does that matter I don't to know. Them? It's a thing. I yeah. don't know if it matters to the NFL. Because, like, when, when you talk about bad looks or optics or whatever, the NFL basically agreeing to having a third-party judge make a decision and then just walking in and overruling that decision is a bad look. But it's probably not as bad of a look as Deshaun Watson being accused by what it's like 50 something women in total, only 24 or six or whatever the number was actually filed a lawsuit, but Deshaun Watson being accused by dozens of women of sexually assaulting them during massages and him only getting six games. That to me is a much worse Mm -hmm. look 
than overruling your own process, right? That's a bad look too. And that might not help you in the future with other players that are going through this uh, suspension process. But the idea that Deshaun Watson's only going to get six games, that I think is the worst overall look for the NFL, especially when they were trying to get a year plus. They were trying to get a full season plus. They didn't even get half a season. They got six. And so, to me, I... Well, I, I wonder if that pushes them to appeal. Yeah, and I assume they, I assume they will, and and leave it up to good. I mean, again, who the hell is appealing? Like, who are the people that are officially appealing? Like, is Roger Goodell like, is he like sending an email to himself, being like, I am appealing? I mean, do this the owners decision. have to sign off on something like that? I don't do you think, think so. the owners care. No. I don't think they do that much. I'm okay. playing them in week seven. Maybe, I, might. I was like, yeah, maybe if you're in the AFC North and you're like, eh, they might make the playoffs now. Exactly. I just got a text from someone about the first bite tweet that we put out. Did you, Tyler, purposely use the word get off easy? Yep. Okay. Um, so this was an interesting part on Deshaun Watson and what Sue Robinson had to say. The judge who ruled a six game uh, suspension. Again, from Tom Pelissero this morning. He tweeted, Judge Sue L. Robinson's decision says Deshaun Watson's pattern of behavior was egregious, but notes the behavior was nonviolent sexual conduct in explaining the decision to suspend him six games. Is that somehow the least offensive way to describe what Deshaun Watson did? I mean, it's also... I mean, there's 30 women, 50-something women involved here and 30 women who ultimately got uh, settlements, so there's one more left out there. I mean, define what she just said. I mean, that's we don't really know what happened in those rooms either. Yeah, I mean, well, that to me, what that tells me is that all of the allegations that we've heard, Sue Robinson believes them because pattern of behavior was egregious right like she obviously believes he was getting massages from multiple women and was pursuing them sexually during the massage right that he he was sexually assaulting a lot of these women but somehow she almost defended it by saying it was non-violent sexual conduct so because he didn't punch them or choke them or throw them against the wall it wasn't that bad even though he was sexually assaulting multiple right. women while getting massages. I, I That part of me is, I, I'm kind of blown away that that's part of the reasoning as to why the judge only gave him six games. Yeah. That it was non-violent. That it was, oh, well, at least he didn't punch them in the face while it happened. That, to me, is kind of uh, a stunning reasoning from a judge to be like, yeah, yeah, we, we know he ejaculated on multiple women, but it's not that bad. He didn't punch them. Yeah. He didn't choke them. So, eh, it's okay. We're okay with that. That, to me, is sort of mind-blowing reasoning from a judge there. Is that where Zeke Elliott gets one game and Ben Roethlisberger gets one game? Excuse me, one one accuser in each, and they both get six games? And that's the other part. How different is this if there's only one right. accuser? One accuser was it, Roethlisberger and Zeke Elliott. Because it doesn't seem like it'd be very much different. Like, it seems like they're treating right. this as though all 24, 54, whatever the number was, is just one. Like, it seems like they're treating every incident as though it was just, oh, one accusation. Where in reality, he's... He's a serial sexual assaulter. Like, that's that's what happened here. And they gave him six games, which is, I'm guessing, what they would have done if there was one woman. If there was one woman that came out and said this, this we probably have the same exact yeah. uh, punishment from the NFL. Okay, but 
I mean, what we all have to think about is... I don't know how many men are out there now that have had a massage that perhaps occasionally there was a happy ending. All right? Maybe there's nobody in your listening audience that that ever happened to. I do want to point out, if it has happened, it's not a crime. That was Rusty Harden. That was Rusty Harden. Deshaun Watson's yeah. lawyer on yeah. a radio station in Houston basically saying... Everybody gets a happy ending massage. Which, by the way, you, if that's, if as, that's, as someone who gets a lot of massages, Tyler. No, I have not had a happy ending massage. But if it was simply happy ending massages, none of this would be a conversation. We'd be no, like, because oh. it'd have been consensual, right? We'd be like, oh, that's kind of creepy, and yeah, my, it's kind of weird. Are you getting up to thirty women? Yeah, I mean, also just like you're a grown man and you're still into hand jobs, kind of weird. <laughs> Coming up next. We just got to be smart with his history and what he went through with that knee injury in Dallas a couple years ago. And we feel like we're in a very good spot right now. We just don't want to get too excited and throw him out there so much and have a setback. So Javon's just about taking it one day at a time and after every practice, taking care of himself and trying to avoid any setbacks. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. So it is August 1st. UNLV basketball is actually going to have some practices starting tomorrow, and they go on their preseason trip where they're going to play three games in Canada in the middle of this month. But they're down an assistant coach because Brandon Chappelle is leaving UNLV for Texas. Chris Beard walked into Las Vegas and stole Brandon Chappelle. Uh, Chappelle is from Beaumont, Texas. Uh, he is from that area is actually a reason David Mawaka came from Lamar over here. Uh, might be one of the bigger reasons, um, that Donovan Williams and Royce Ham came to UNLV as well. But what this means is that UNLV has lost all three assistant coaches from last year's team. Kevin Kruger's first team this off season, Carlin Hartman left for Florida, Brandon Chappelle now going to Texas and Tim Buckley left for South Carolina. And how big of a deal is it to lose I mean, all three assistant coaches? They all traded up. I'll tell you that. Uh, so, you know, there is that. They they didn't go to other Mountain West schools or something of that uh, realm. They all went to better programs. I think for continuity's sake and consistency's sake and maybe, you know, at least to start where the recruiting ties are, I think it's a big deal to lose all three in one, in one off season. And yeah. what is it? Again, I don't want to guess here as to what it might say about UNLV or or uh, how they thought things were being run there because they all went to better programs. Right. And I think that's okay. A couple things. First off on Brandon Chappelle, losing him at the end of July, I think that, that, that part of it's pretty brutal because you're not losing him at the beginning of the offseason. You're not losing him during the start of the coaching carousel. You lost him when you're you're literally about to start your preseason tour. The whole reason that Kevin Kruger is doing a preseason tour in Canada this year is for, hey, get this team together earlier, get more practices, get more time together. Well, they don't have an assistant coach. They right. have an opening as an assistant coach when they're supposed to be spending this time together. And granted, that's probably more important for the actual roster than it is the coaches, but it's still a very important thing. So I think losing Brandon Chappelle, not as big of a deal if it happened in April, I think it's a much bigger deal now that it's happened in yeah. late July and now into August, they have this opening. But I think the fear is that if you're if you're UNLV and you look at last season, won 18 games, did better than expected in the Mountain West, but still were not a contender for the Mountain West title. 
Did not do anything in the Mountain West tournament. Did not make the NCAA tournament. Didn't even come close. Did not make the NIT. Maybe they were on the bubble for that. But this was not this was not a like good team last season. This was not some NCAA tournament level team with legitimate success. And they lost their two best players to the NBA draft. Two guys that had an additional year of eligibility that could have come back. They're gone to the NBA draft because they viewed that as better. And they lost all three assistant coaches to other programs. And so the legitimate question is, is UNLV ever going to be able to keep anyone good? Because they were not a good team last year, and they've lost so much this offseason. Imagine what they're going to lose if they have a good season. If this team, like if this year's team were to go on a run to the NCAA tournament, right? How many of those players are coming back next year? How many of those? Is Kevin Kruger gone? Yeah, that was my first thought. Like this program, again, we've talked about it from the coaching standpoint, right? Chris Beard hangs around for like seven days, right? Otzelberger's only here for two years. Didn't, Didn't actually win anything. And they're gone to different jobs. Not even like high, I mean, Iowa State's not even like a high power conference team. They're a middle of the road power conference team. Texas Tech is too, and they're gone. So, like, I think it's a legitimate question. Is UNLV basketball ever going to be able to keep anybody? Because they have not been good for a while, and they keep losing people. Well, and what we've seen in the first two years, I think the roster is just going to be turnover and turnover and go in the portal yeah. and grab as many guys as you can. I, I mean, mean, that's what we've seen the first two years. That's going to be reality, and that's where Kevin Kruger, or whoever the coach is, is going to have to be good at, right? Like, you're going to have to bring in important players in the portal. But... The key, and here's the thing, this year's roster, or this year's offseason, they did a terrific job finding talent in the transfer portal, right? They had one of the probably top 15 halls in terms of talent that you got out of the transfer portal. But like we've talked about, the problem is that they had to essentially rebuild the roster. They were not adding to their key pieces last year because... They lost their key pieces last year. Well, that's tough to do every yeah. year. If Bryce tough Hamil- to do every year. If Bryce Hamilton and Donovan Williams had come back to UNLV and they added all these guys out of the transfer portal, UNLV is like number one or number two in the Mountain West right. preseason. UNLV is a projected NCAA tournament team. If they had kept Hamilton, kept Williams, and added this talent out of the portal. The problem is they didn't. They lost those guys. They had to rebuild the roster. And so they kind of were in the same spot projection-wise as they were Last season, this is probably not an NCAA tournament team. And so that's sort of the issue going forward is who do you keep on a year to year basis? Do you keep anybody like is anybody that's any good going to actually stick around at UNLV? That I think is going to be the big question going forward for this program, because if you're losing guys when you're not exactly good, how are you going to fend people off when you do have some success, when you have one season of success? How do you keep guys around? Because they're losing them, even though UNLV hasn't been winning anything. Well, and I think Osleberger was a unique situation. It, it was. was the one school in the country because he had coached there, and his wife would have been a star there, and uh, they had, you know, the, the people loved him there. I, anyone else? Applebee's than, named a burger after yeah, him. Any anyone other than I, South I, anyone other than Iowa State? Um, he, he's still the coach here. Well, no, the, I mean, he would have left for a different job, but nobody else was offering him a job except Iowa State. Right, yeah. right. But I don't know if he would have done well enough the following year to where he would have right. gotten an offer from well, anybody. I, I'm. He did take a two-win team to the Sweet 16. <laughs> like, I, Otzelberger's been at Iowa State for, what are we, like 16 months or something like that? 
took over a two-win program. They're in the Sweet 16, and then he just landed a five-star recruit last week. Like, the guy's a good college basketball guy. I, he, here's the thing. Otzelberger would have been gone eventually. He would have, okay, he would have left eventually. eventually. Yes, like, yes. Maybe it would have been after year four or something right. like that. Maybe UNLV would have actually had an NCAA tournament appearance under him. But he would have left. It. There's no way. Otzelberger was not staying at UNLV right. for life. And is Kevin Kruger? I mean, when Desiree Francois hired him, she kind of brought up like the ties to UNLV and he's a UNLV guy and we want somebody loyal to the program and all that. But I mean, if they go to the NCAA tournament this year and a power conference job walks in and says, Here's a $2.8 million contract offer. Is Kevin Kruger turning that down? I mean, his dad left. Yeah. For a lot more than 2.8, but he still left. Because UNLV's not paying him 2.8 right. a year. So, like, there, there's the hope. Like, the, the hope that if you're UNLV is that Kevin Kruger is the coach, is a good coach in college basketball, and that he feels a loyalty to UNLV that he stays. And that, you know, obviously if he wins, UNLV will start paying him more. But, like... Is that realistic to think that Kevin Kruger, just because he played here, just because he transferred in and played here under his dad, is that legitimate to think that he's going to stay if there's a you know random no. Big Twelve or if SEC a, team? If there's a power conference job that's going to pay him three or four times more, he's got yeah. a family. I I just I can't believe. imagine he would. And if and if Kevin Kruger has, well, I I said this a lot, and it always ends up being proven not true. I'm always like, if he's got a good year or two, he'll get poached. But for UNLV, you often don't even have to have the good year yeah. to. They just leave anyway. Right. So for, but like, sometimes for Chris Beard, you had to have a good seven days. Right. Yeah. But like sometimes he, for Missouri, and it doesn't make any sense. If he like let's let's just imagine they go to the NCAA tournament this year, right? And then the next season, they go to the Sweet 16. Kevin Gruder's not the coach at UNLV anymore, is he? No, he's getting poached. Yeah. He's going he's some SEC or Big Ten or Big Twelve, whatever it is. Pac twelve still exists, is gonna be like, oh, we'll give you three point five million dollars. And that's where he's the new head coach because you're not turning down that type of money when UNLV can't get to 1.8. I mean, whatever their cap is at that well, point. Well, they might be able to as a Pac-12 program. Oh, good point. Good point. I when mean, they're in they're the Pac-12 Pac program, they'll have the money to spend. They'll hurt, they're holding on to Kevin Kruger Yeah, at that exactly. Point. All right, coming up next, we'll get into some Jaguars. Hall of Fame game is this week with Anthony Wiggins. I think the spirit of it all, I think, is really good. I think it's got benefits. I think there's balance in everything, right? Too much of anything is a, is a bad thing. And I do think because of the soft blow, it's kind of lending to players using their heads a little bit more. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. The preseason's almost here. Thursday is the Hall of Fame game. The Raiders take on the Jaguars in Canton, Ohio. Joining us now from the Locked On Jags podcast is Tony Wiggins. Good morning, Tony. How hey, are Tony. You today? What's going on, man? Good morning. How y'all doing? Good, good. good. Um, all right. Important question. Do you know this yet? Because Josh McDaniels wouldn't answer this question over the weekend. Are the Jags going to play their starters? Uh, I don't know that either. So okay. Josh McDaniels and we're in the same boat. Uh, I, I will tell you this. To avoid injuries, you'll see a very limited amount of frontline players. Uh, at, at least it, that the most you're going to get is something extremely vanilla up front. Uh, that's the way it kind of looks because uh, even though they kind of retooled the team a little bit, they're still really, really thin behind those top players. So uh, they have some guys that if they lose them uh, in a game that's not very important, they wouldn't be uh, received well for their season. So I don't expect – if you, if you see Trevor Lawrence out there, you'll see him with something that's extremely vanilla, throwing the ball out to the flat, and they'll get in and out. Which leads me to wonder why they ever do that anyway. That's what they're going to do. 
How uh, let's 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 talk about him real quick and Trevor Lawrence. Um, and there's been five or six days of camp. What is the perception of him coming into this year, and how has he looked so far? The perception of him has been well. I don't want to date myself, but I go back to when Troy Aikman was in Dallas after that horrendous one and fifteen season. He got beat up really bad, but he earned people's respect. And that's what happened with Trevor last year. And Trevor didn't get beat up physically as much as Troy did that, you know, 30 years ago. But he, he did take a little bit of a beating because they had him being the press secretary that he was the, the, the darling of the franchise. And every time something went wrong with the team, which seemingly was every three hours with <laughs> Urban Meyer, every time something went wrong, they had to roll the darling back out to the podium. And, you know, the amount of time it took him to get to the podium at the end of the year was longer. You know, it seemed like we were waiting forever last year. It's because he probably got tired of being like a press secretary for the team. This year is a little bit of relief because he's insulated by a lot of people that have done well with quarterbacks in the past, including Doug Peterson and Press Taylor, Mike McCoy. You guys are familiar with out West and uh, Jim Bob Cooter. So the thing with him now is you don't see him doing all of those things. You just see a young guy who's being pushed. Uh, to get there so they can extract the best of him. And uh, I think it's a breath of fresh air to the franchise and it's good for his future. How? What's the right way to judge Trevor Lawrence going into year two? Like, is it fair to kind of ignore a lot of last year and say, oh, that was a mess Urban Meyer made and year two is going to be different? Like, what's the right way to judge what Trevor Lawrence is right now as a quarterback? He's still the, the same physical freak that everyone thought he was. Um and if anything, if you're close enough to it, you you actually earned a modicum of respect for how he handled that situation. Uh, if from afar, you'd look at the statistics and you'd say there was nothing special there, but that would be uh, a little bit unfair to him and probably be unfair to, you, to, to anyone who's observing it. It was an actual mess last year. I heard that they were – Irvin was changing the game plan on Friday and they were running plays that they'd never run before because of something that he saw on Thursday night football. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? That's absolutely ridiculous, man. So what you're going to get now is you're going to get uh, a real coach and not a fanboy of a guy who was this great college player. You're going to get a, a real coach who's going to call real plays. And you remember, this guy won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles as his starter, and he beat Belichick and Brady. And he had to score 40 to do it, and he found a way to get it done. Those are the kind of things that make you enthusiastic about the fact that he's not gawking at the high school prospect that he recruited. He's not gawking at the guy who was running around in college football. He's looking at this dude as a guy that has to get better every single day. And it sometimes sounds like coach speak, but actually it's the right thing to do and the right thing to say. Yeah. And and look, they haven't won in terms of success, uh, but everything can be set back. How much did Urban Meyer just set back this franchise? Um, if, If you look at it from, from a macro perspective, not too much, because the bottom line is everyone thought they started over last year. Well, no, they really didn't start over last year. They started over this year. And something that Doug Peterson said when he first got here, he said, look, they've been through a lot. And I'm going to paraphrase him a little bit. They were sort of traumatized. And he had to make sure that he didn't come in here and push too hard because the last guy was basically King Joffrey and Ramsey Bolton rolled up into one grown ass human being that didn't know how to conduct himself in a locker room. So I asked him, the first question I ever asked him is, when do you push? Every coach uh, uses yelling and screaming and pushing and sort of semi threats to sort of push guy. When do you do that knowing where they came from? And he said, when you earn the trust. 
And I think he's gotten beyond the point of earning their trust. Everyone to a man has talked about how this year is totally different from last year. And the entire Jacksonville media has really given them a mulligan for um, not being a year ahead. They've blamed the ownership. They've blamed Urban. And now everybody's just ready to move forward and move on. And I think they're, you know, they're headed in that direction. Maybe the most surprising wide receiver contract of the offseason was Christian Kirk getting four years and uh, $72 million. What's your actual expectations for what Christian Kirk does this season? Um, it's, I, I've got to temper it based on what I've seen in camp. What I've seen in camp so far is a guy who just knows how to get open, he knows how to catch the ball, and he turns into a punt returner when he catches the football. Realistically, when you look at it, he's the number two option, and he's about one catch from having a thousand yards. Isn't it amazing how stats can make us feel a certain way? He had you know, a bunch of catches, 70-some-odd catches for like 982 yards. If he catches one more pass for like 19 yards and has a thousand yard season, I don't think anybody's tripping out on his contract. <laughs> and as big as the contract is, you have to really look at the, the details, you know, because all the information is in the details. It's $36 million over the first two years. If it doesn't pan out, they get rid of him. It's not really a $76 million contract. It's a two year, $36 million deal, which in this market, I've seen worse. It doesn't seem like you have. But, you know, there have been guys that have gotten a lot more money with a lot less stats. It's just, to me, he was viewed as a guy who's a number two receiver who's not very big and not very tall, not the alpha receiver that you normally pay. But when you really think about it statistically, he kind of is. He was one catch away from having a 1,000 yards. And I think they believe his best football is in front of him. How important is it that James Robinson gets through this Achilles injury? Important from the fact that when you look back at the Eagles Super Bowl win against the Patriots, they had three running backs who carried the ball at least two times in the first quarter. It was Jay Ajayi, it was uh, LeGarrette Blunt, and then uh, the Clinton kid that's in Miami right now. So that means they like to give a lot of people the ball. It's also important because uh, Travis Etienne had a Liz Frank injury last year, and he missed the entire season. But he has looked in camp like Alvin Kamara and Brian Westbrook mixed together. The most explosive player in camp offensively. He looks like he's in better shape than he was at Clemson. Now, James Robinson could be the yin to his yang. And James is just about running full speed in practice, even though he's not really mixing it up when they uh, practice him as a group. He's kind of on the sideline doing his thing. So from that perspective, it's important. But because ETN has looked the way he's looked, and they did use – uh, I think a fifth-round pick on Snoop Connor out of Mississippi, and he's looked very well. I don't necessarily think it's imperative that he come back early on and be to his rookie form, but I do think in the grand scheme of things, like you said, when you're looking at a big-picture perspective, they like to use three guys, and him being healthy is a very, very good option for them as a number two running back. Your overall expectations on this team, how many games do you think they win? How realistic is a playoff berth for the Jags? All right, so, you know, what? my expectation, if I told you that, you guys would laugh because if that's what McDaniels does, y'all going to try to run him out of uh, Vegas. But because the Jaguars have been so bad, my expectation is just for them to look competent and be competitive every week <laughs> and have this thing looking like it's on an uptick. So, man, look, if they go, if they win seven, eight games and they're really, really competitive and these fans see that they're not going to be rebuilding again, in 24 months, that's a win-win. But I'm not going to put a cap on it, obviously, because we saw what the Bengals did last year after Joe Burrow got hurt, and they were still picking fifth, and they went to the Super Bowl, and if they could have covered just a little bit longer, they probably would have won it. 
So I'm not going to put a cap on it, but the expectations here are different than anywhere else because let's just face it, the Jaguars have had like four or five winning seasons in 26 years. So my expectations and what you guys' expectations would be, you guys probably wouldn't understand it. I'm not going to put a cap on it, though, but I think they'll be a middle-of-the-road team, and if they do well in the division, they could probably sneak up and even win it because the division might be down this year. Well, he is Tony Wiggins. It's the Locked On Jaguars podcast. Tony, you got anything else coming up? Just the Locked On Jags podcast? The Locked On Jags podcast, and I do, you know, I'm a local news guy here as an analyst on two different networks, but I do want to say this. I've heard you guys have had a lot of bad inclement weather there that you're not used to, so prayers up to the city of Las Vegas and everyone involved. And I hope the losses aren't too bad. We're used to dealing with water damage down here. So, so I want you guys to you know, make sure that everyone's safe and get back to normal as soon as possible. Yes, thank you. It, thank you, it Johnny. automatically floods here if one yes. drop of water falls from the sky. We are not <laughs> able to handle anything. We appreciate that. Uh, Tony Wiggins, it's the Locked On Jaguars podcast. Tony, thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. So there is Tony Wiggins. Uh, that was nice. We do not handle water very well. Oh, I went through, uh, and you know me, uh, I, had to, I stayed at the facility. I didn't have much work to do yesterday, but the emergency alerts came past all our phones. Oh, like four times yesterday. Yeah, and it said where we were, and this is at about noon, stay where you're at till 145 unless you're fleeing. I decided to flee. Uh, and <laughs> I fleed at about uh, 1250. <laughs> Hold on, about, did you just say I fleeted? Yes, I fleed at about uh, 1215, and man, around the Raiders podcast. It was touch and go, go going through some of the uh, some of the rainwater in terms of how how much it was built up. Are you the guy not listening to the turnaround don't drown commercials? Yes, I am the guy. <laughs> when I when I was leaving, it's it's kind of sad that they all think this about me. When I was leaving the uh, press the press room, I, I heard a lot of "Oh man, good luck." Like when everyone else left, no one said anything except goodbye. <laughs> and then I leave and I hear a well, few good lucks. Listen, on the positive side, maybe that just means people care about you and they don't care about everybody else. Or on the negative side, <laughs> they know how you drive. And, yes, I think it was more the latter. And they're like, hey, he might not make good it. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> this, this rain might push that over the top. All right, coming up next, the Aces won another game, but I'm guessing Ed is not very happy about Becky Hammond's taste in movies. Rips it over to Jackie to Asia. She's going to launch one from three. Asia Wilson triple time from the left corner. Asia doing it all. Inside, mid-range, deep. 67-57. Aces match their largest lead of 10. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. The Aces won again, beating the Indiana Fever 94-69 to last night. The Aces played back-to-back games in Indiana against the Fever, who are probably the worst team in the WNBA. They won by 21-25. and uh, Complete blowouts of a terrible Indiana Fever team. The Aces have now won five in a row. Their defensive rating is 95.6 over those last five games. That is second best in the league during that stretch. So they've gotten good defense over the last five. The main caveat to that, though, is they've played the Fever three times in the last five games. Yeah. They should just stay on the road the rest of the year. They never lose <laughs> well, on the road. If they get to play the Indiana Fever, they should. Well, yeah, play <laughs> play the Fever the rest of the way and just play road games and you'll be fine. So I we've talked a lot about this team's uh, two, two main issues for a legitimate contender. The depth and the defense, right? The depth has been a problem all year, maybe less so recently, but they've had some blowout wins. But the defense has been sort of a last month or so a big problem for this team. 
Uh, I guess anyone good. Yeah, I don't know that anything that's happened in the last five games is truly, you know, you can take forward and say, oh, look, the defense is playing right. much better. Right. It's more about the Indiana fever yeah. not actually being very good. Now, the important Las Vegas Aces news. Uh, Andy covers the Aces for the Review Journal. Uh, he tweeted this out that Becky Hammond, not a big fan of the movie Hoosiers. Her quote, I'm not from Indiana. I'm a basketball player, so everybody loves Hoosiers, but it's not a top five movie. For Come me. on! Come on, Hammond. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I, I, I just, you don't have to be, I'm not from Indiana either. Best basketball <laughs> movie of all time. Don't at me. Semi-pro, but okay. Don't at me. D- uh, Ed Graney's saying don't at me? Don't, because it's the best basketball movie. And Hammond... Even if he semi pro was great, um, I thought White Men Can't Jump was great, but um, no. Uh, even if you don't think it's the best to say it's not top five, Hammond's crazy. I, are there even all right? So Blue Chips. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not even sure there are five basketball movies. They're not very good. No, they're not. Like Mike. Ooh, yeah. No, that's bad. Ben Affleck and The Way Back. <laughs> I mean, come on. Never even heard of that one. No. What was that movie? No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. There's not five. We did football meetings last week with uh, on the show, football movies, that you can get a million of those. But basketball movies? All no. Right. I'm thinking no. of basketball movies I've seen. Coach I've, Carter's I've okay. Seen, I was going to say, the one with Samuel L. Jackson, that's Coach Carter, right? Yes. Yeah. I've seen Coach Carter. No idea what happens in that movie. Forgot it completely. I can't remember the name of it. The one about um, what's now UTEP. Oh, they, uh, Glory Road. Glory Road. That's Road. also a good one. Glory Road. I've seen that one. Thought that was pretty good. Uh, I have seen Semi Pro and thought that was pretty good. Semi Pro is excellent. I have not seen. They traded someone for a, a washing machine. Yes. <laughs> I've not seen Hoosiers. No idea if that's any oh, good. Oh. Whatever Ben Affleck movie you just yeah, said. Yeah, no, no. I know. The way back. No. I'm Googling that. Do, have no. either of you I'm a watched, big Ben Affleck fan. Have either of you watched the Adam Sandler movie that just came out where he's a scout and for finds the, for the Sixers, right? I don't know. I've, I haven't seen it. I've had two friends not tell me it. it's I've good not seen it. and I've that not I, seen I should watch it. I'm assuming you have not watched it, Jerry. No. Okay. No. So I maybe that, I've had two friends tell me it's good. So maybe I need to watch that one. But have you seen Teen Wolf? Isn't that a cartoon? No, no, no. no. Michael J. Fox. The basketball scene's probably the only good part of the movie. No, I have not seen Teen Wolf. Okay. Is it a wolf playing basketball? Yes. I'm assuming it's a teenager who turns into yes, a wolf. Yes, okay. Yeah, he turns into a werewolf. And How he, did you guess suddenly, that? Suddenly. <laughs> How did you guess that? Suddenly, plot twist? five foot two Michael J. Fox. Very athletic. He turns into. Oh, Airbud. Airbud. Actually, Airbud's an excellent film. Top five. There are movie. no, there's no rules that say a dog can't play the game, which I have literally now seen in like scholarly papers of. Well, if we apply the Airbud logic, of, there are no rules that say that you can't do this. Did you? I'm not sure. Tyler did. Jared, he got game with Denzel Washington. Oh yeah, excellent movie. Uh, but I don't I think, think it's a very Ray good. Ray Allen. Bat. Yeah, Ray Allen. Ray was, Allen played Jesus Shuttleworth. Yes, and that's he, why and Ray Allen was terrific. He was like, yeah, he was like, actually a pretty good actor. I mean, you looked but, at it, you're like, that's Ray Allen, and he was like a really good actor. But the problem with it is, I don't think that was a very good basketball movie. That was just a no, good was more, movie. Yeah, it was, a, yeah, more of a dramatic good movie. Um, 
He played basketball, but it's not like a Hoosiers movie where the whole basis is around basketball. I have a question. Why do, I think it probably happens more in TV shows than movies, but why do TV shows that have some sort of like basketball scene always have them playing on the smallest gym you have ever seen in your life? Um, well, Hoosiers, because it was based in a time where that where that was the size of the gym. I, I will say I went to a school that was built in 1870. My high school, like our basketball gym was literally like could seat 60 people. No, 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 no. I don't mean the seating. I mean like the court. Like I'm thinking of like a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air show where it's like the three-point lines touch each other. <laughs> And they're like, oh, yeah, this is the high school basketball game. And oh, the court's no. like, it's like a half court, but they shove two rims Cheap, on it. Cheap production? Right. Yeah. But they like, have that, like one camera to do yeah. it? That's the producer called for more money, and they went, no. <laughs> but like, I feel like every like TV show that just has a random basketball scene, the court is the size of this yeah. studio. And, it's and like, most of them don't have glass backboards. Yeah. Yeah, they got the white, whatever the that's white? made. Yes. I don't even know if that's, that's made out of. I don't know. Wood? Pl- plexiglass? Wood? Probably plastic. Yeah. yeah. Nightmare backboard. Another movie you should check out that, like Jared said, like Denzel Washington movie that's kind of like basketball but is not is Finding Forrester. Do you watch that with Sean Connery? I, I don't think Denzel Washington's in that. No, Sean Connery. No, Yeah, fi- yeah, no, yeah. No, Sean, no, no. Sean. Oh, no, he oh, got no, game okay, with Denzel yeah, yeah. Washington. Yeah, no, Finding Forrester. Excellent, excellent, excellent movie. If you were at all active on the internet in the early 2000s, uh, you're the man now, dog.com. Oh, I've heard it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's from Finding Forrester. Oh. You're the man now, dog. In, man, a, Scot- watched- in a Scottish accent. Right, let's go is back to excellent. the original thought. Hammond's out of her mind. Are no, you, uh... I need you to watch Hoosiers and break it down. Yeah, yeah. Because you could, they that's... run the picket fence. Yeah, yeah. They run a lot of basketball stuff. That's a basketball movie. That's like the entire thing is based around basketball. They, so. it's they, Hoosiers. Their winning I mean, play, it's... not to ruin anything, involves four out of five players not moving. <laughs> they win? Come on, Jared. They win the I, state championship. I don't know if they Jared. win. Spoilers. They win the state championship. No, spoilers. You know why? Because Jimmy Chitwood in the in the huddle said, I'll make it. So, like, all right, clear out. Uh, Becky Hammond, should she be, like, ineligible to be coach of the year because she doesn't like Hoosiers? Shouldn't be ineligible to be a coach. <laughs> They're my coach of the year. <laughs> if you were running the aces, you would be I would, like, I'd I, say, yeah, you're, you're done. gone. You're we'll done. see you're you later. You'd have required, Not a top five? You wouldn't watch film. You'd watch Hoosiers. Give me a break.